0: Dr. Paul Brand, a physician uh, and pioneering hand surgeon, especially in the field of leprosy, uh, has passed away, solid Christian man. He left us with a very good book that tells a little bit about his biography, but also it tells us a little bit about the gift of pain The Gift of Pain. The title of the book is Pain, the Gift Nobody Wants. And in a chapter, he discusses the healing nature of pain and how people in pain can be used by God to heal others in their pain and in healing others in their pain, they're healed. Um, He tells about a time he was a resident in World War II, Britain. He's from England. And when the Third Reich was bombing Britain, the nation was at war, the military had called up a huge number of nurses to the front lines, which left all of the hospitals in Britain uh, very short of staff. And so there was no other option than to ask the patients to fill in. And do work. Every patient who could walk, and even those in wheelchairs, had a job to do while they were recovering in the hospital. And this is what Paul Brand wrote. He said they fetched bedpans, uh, the patients changed sheets, they distributed food and water, they took, they even took temperature and, and blood pressure readings. Only the nurses remaining uh, took care of prescriptions and IVs. And then this is what Paul Brand wrote. This is amazing. Patients got so caught up in caring for each other's suffering that they forgot about their own. In fact, Paul Brand wrote, I noticed a nearly 50% drop in demand for pain medication. Patients who usually needed sleeping pills were peacefully asleep by the time I came around. I mean, the lesson is clear, isn't it? Helping others was the best medicine to one's own health. Helping others in their pain was, in fact, the best medicine for helping one's own pain. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about how God uses broken people to heal broken people. Uh, I'm mindful of a quote by Henry Nouwen in his book, The Wounded Healer, Henry Nowen once said, The great illusion of leadership is to think that man can be led out of the desert by someone who has never been there. That's such an important quote as we conclude this series, The Road to Recovery. Earlier this year, a dedicated team of servant leaders launched a new ministry, Celebrate Recovery. And this ministry team uh, that has nurtured and stewarded the Celebrate Recovery ministry Every person on that team is a wounded healer. Every person. And you've heard their faith stories from this pulpit. Every person has a, has a hurt or a habit or some hang up. And what we're learning is that, you know, Celebrate Recovery is not a ministry to those who merely struggle with alcohol or drug addictions. It's, it's a ministry. When you come Friday night, you know, you, you won't see a room full of trench coats hiding bottles in brown paper bags. What you will see is a community of woundedness, and you will see a community of wounded healers. And what you will see are perhaps the most transparent and honest people in our church family. What you will see are people who have discovered that they're not very good makeup artists. That you, you will see a community of people who have found that it is easier and healthier to admit that they have scars in life than to try to spend all of their time putting makeup on their scars. And then you see a community of people who not only acknowledge the pain, but they have come to the point where they realize that God can use this pain for his glory. Those of you who are educators, you know what this, it's called peer counseling, right? You know, the peer counselor is that individual who has attained disability-related experiences to assist others with their disability-related experiences. That's peer counseling. Well, the Bible calls this peacemaking, peacemaking. And so Jesus says in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Do you understand? God wants to do more than simply dust the sin off of our lives and put us on a shelf like a gleaming trophy. He's created us with a purpose. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has has determined ahead of time for us to do. And the good work is that of peacemaking, making a difference in this world so that through our brokenness, this world will see the perfect Christ So what is peacemaking? Well, when I think about peacemaking, my mind goes back to one of my teachers at Trinity, uh, Don Carson, who wrote that gospel peacemaking is about spreading the gospel, lessening tensions, seeking solutions, striving that communication is understood. Gospel peacemaking is about getting involved personally. Gospel peacemaking is about showing up. Gospel peacemaking, here it is, acting in love to bring healing. Acting in love to bring healing. True peacemakers promote the kingdom of God. True true peacemakers reconcile adversaries. They quench hatred. They unite the divided. They lobby for Christ-like love. True peacemaking. And gospel peacemaking asks the potentially awkward questions like, are we going to be a community of grace or not? Are we going to talk about our sin or are we going to pretend that it doesn't exist? Are we going to acknowledge that community life can be messy? Church can be messy. Spirituality can be, can be unsanitized. And thus, are broken people attracted to our community? Are they? Is conflict out in the open or is it suppressed? Our forgiveness and reconciliation, do we try to hide these things or do we hunt for these things? Do we hunt for Reconciliation and peace. Peace Peacemaking implies that it does not come automatically. Peacemaking implies that there needs to be an initiative that has to take place. Gospel peacemaking. Bless you. Sorry. (laughs) Are you okay? John Baker has written Life's Healing Choices and I like his definition of peacemaking. Here it is, it's up on the screen. Yield myself to God to be used to bring the good news to others, both by my example and my words. Yield myself to God to be used to bring the good news to others, both by my example and my words. So so the peacemaker has first made peace with God. Peacemakers have, have brought their pasts to God For cleansing from God, only to be given a mission by God. By God's grace, the peacemaker, and this is so important, here it is, has determined to move past their past. To move past their past. See, God is forgiven. God has commissioned. And now God God does not hold my past against me. Now he wants to use me. To make a difference in the lives of others. And you know, the Bible is replete with example after example of this. I'm thinking of Rahab the prostitute whom God used to uh, help God's people as they crossed the Jordan into Jericho and the city was leveled. I'm thinking of the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 who had had five husbands. And Jesus said, the person you're living with now isn't your husband. And, and he totally transformed her life. So that then God used her as an evangelist to transform her community. She goes back to her community, the Samaritan woman in John 4, and says, this, is this not the Messiah? Come and meet the man who told me everything I ever did. Well, who would want that? She did because the person was Jesus I'm thinking about Moses, who killed someone and hid his body in the sand, and and God used him to free an entire nation. I mean, he hid the body in the sand. I'm thinking of Abraham, who lied about his wife and endangered her safety. God used him to birth the nation. I'm thinking of David, who committed adultery with Bathsheba. The baby died. Uh, David had Bathsheba's husband murdered, yet God used him. I'm thinking of Peter denied Christ even Barnabas of Paul and Barnabas in Galatians chapter 2 verse 13 whom Paul says he acted hypocritically and yet God used him you see you hear what I'm saying I'm not saying listen I'm not saying go out and sin so that you can have a story please you surely you didn't hear that I'm saying that the only kind of people God uses are broken people because that's who he has to work with. I'm saying everybody needs recovery of some type. Mental recovery, physical recovery, spiritual recovery, relational recovery. We all have hurts and habits and hang-ups. Nobody is perfect. So, therefore, who better to help an alcoholic than someone who struggles with alcoholism? Who better? Who better to help someone dealing with the pain of abuse than someone who's abused themselves? Who can Better help someone who lost their job and is going through bankrupt than someone else who's lost their job and going through bankrupt. Who better to deal with the tragedy of a failed marriage than someone who has walked through that path? Who better to help a couple of parents who have a, a, a child who's gone off the deep end than a couple who's had a child that's gone off the deep end? What I'm saying is that God wants to use your pain, He wants to redeem your pain to help others. But you've got to be open and honest about it. And the very thing that you may be afraid that everybody else might find out and discover could be the very thing that God wants to use to bring healing and other people. And if you keep that to yourself, and I'm not promoting exhibitionism, please, but if you keep that to yourself, you're wasting it. And, you know, I've had had many conversations with, with folks who just can't imagine God using them because of the stuff that's in their past. And, and we, sometimes we feel so surprised at the notion of God using us, we don't even expect it. We don't even expect it when it happens. We're just, you know, wow, what was that all about? Uh, um, Fred Craddock is one of my mentors in preaching, and he tells a story about a young pastor, 25, in his very first church, you know, green, fresh out of seminary, He goes to this church and uh, there's a member of his church and an older woman who is in the hospital she's near death and she's in the hospital lying on the pillow you know gasping for breath and so this young green pastor visits her and um, it's kind of awkward what do you say right he's 25 no experience but after some awkward moments he, he finally says look look well i need to go but would you like to have prayer before i go and she says well yes Young pastor says, Well, what would you like to pray for today and um, she says well well i 'd like to pray to be healed, of course, <laughs> and the young pastor you know gasps at this tall order, and uh, but then bows his head and stumbles on, lord, uh, we we uh, pray for your um, sustaining presence in the life of this uh, sick sister, and uh, if it uh, be thy will, uh, we pray that she 'll uh, be re- restored to uh, health and to uh, to service uh, But if it's not uh, thy will, uh, we certainly hope that she'll adjust to her circumstances. (laughs) Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. Well, suddenly the old woman opens her eyes. She sits up in bed. She throws her feet over the side of the bed. She stands up. She looks right at the pastor. She says, Pastor, Pastor. I think I'm healed, and she just, she jumps up, she leaps up, and she strides, waltzes out the door, last the pastor sees, she's screaming down the hall, I'm healed, I'm healed, look, look, look at me, this last he sees of her, this 25-year-old pastor, just kind of, just kind of dazed at it all, and leaves the hospital room, and goes down the hallway, takes the steps down, goes to the parking garage, approaches his car just before he opens the door. He looks up at heaven. He says, don't you ever do that to me again. <laughs> no, no, that's what God wants to do. That's exactly what God wants to do. He wants to do it again and again and again. And Why? Well, see, Jesus said, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, Why? for they will be called sons of God. You see, when we actively pursue peace, and when we are busy at doing peace, and when we make peace, that is when we resemble our Heavenly Father. For they shall be called sons of God. Notice Jesus did not say children of God. He used the specific phrase sons of God. And why? Because he's trying to communicate that in, in being doers of peace, in making peace, that's when we resemble the face of our heavenly father. That's when we show the likeness and the character of God on display. God is peace-loving. God is peacemaking, And the whole history of the Bible tells how God, culminating in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, what God has done, the extent to which God has taken in order to make peace. And thus, God's sons and daughters act that way too. They have the character of the Father. What he loves, they love. What he pursues, they pursue. And when you understand that, And when that gets burned into the core of your soul, life, your pain, your health, everything takes on a new meaning because the proof of spiritual growth, the proof of recovery, is that God uses your weaknesses so that you begin to focus on that which is outside yourself and you stop being so self absorbed. You stop worrying about your problems and your needs and your hurts, and you start saying, how can I help other people? How can I make a difference in the lives of other people? Dr. Carl Menninger was a famous psychiatrist, and he was once asked, how would you counsel someone if you know, they felt like a nervous breakdown was coming on them? What would you say? This is what he said. Lock up your house go across the railway, find someone in need, and do something to help that person. There it is. You know, last week I said maybe for some of us the most spiritual thing we could do is take a nap and get rested. I'll tell you, for, for others of us, if you're feeling depressed, emotionally down, perhaps the most spiritual thing you can do is to go to Salt and Light and distribute food to the hungry. Get your mind off yourself, your hurts, your problems. See, that's why the psalmist was able to say, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. That's why the apostle Paul was able to say in 2 Corinthians 1, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. You see? You understand what Paul is saying there? When we are afflicted, and we go to God and he gives us his comfort. He never gives us just enough, enough comfort for us. God doesn't ration comfort. He gives it so that we can receive it and so that we can share it. And the son and the daughter of God gets that. One of my favorite Uh, characters in the Old Testament book of Genesis is Joseph. Joseph. What an amazing biography. Joseph, who suffered abuse by his family, by his brothers, who sold him into slavery and just kind of forgot about him. And years later, Joseph ended up, he was a slave in Egypt. He became the prime minister of Egypt. Through God's sovereign, uh, divinely orchestrated events, Joseph was in charge of Egypt, and and uh, after many years, he was reunited to his family. And by then, the tables had turned. You know, Joseph was no longer the little brother; he was second to Pharaoh. He was the one in power, and he had so much power that he could have taken revenge on his brothers, and like you and me, squashing a bug, and nobody would have noticed. But when Joseph's father died, when when the sons of Israel when Jacob died, the brothers worried that Joseph was going to exact revenge. And so they concocted a story about their father's last wish. And in an act of peacemaking and love, Joseph affirmed his love for his brothers. He, He said, am I in the place of God? And then he said this in Genesis 50, 20. You intended to harm me But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You understand what Joseph is saying there? The proof of recovery is that you want to help others, not just focus on on what's happening to you. And so as sons and daughters of God, we resemble him. We resemble his character. We resemble his face. And as sons and daughters of God, and I have to tell you this, as sons and daughters of God, We not only act like our Heavenly Father, but we hurt like our Heavenly Father. This is what I need you to hear, okay? And um, I said this first service, I'll say it again, second service, I need to talk to the Celebrate Recovery leadership team. If you all want to listen in, go ahead. We make ourselves available to God, and we say, Lord, I just want to, be used by you. I want you to use my pain to help other people, all right? Kind of like Moses. God was gonna use Moses to, to deliver his people from Pharaoh in Egypt. And so Moses said, okay, I'm gonna be used by God. Wow. Well, then he shows up to Pharaoh, right? What, is, what does Pharaoh do? Who are you? You're, you wanna do what? Oh, no. If you got so much time figuring out how to get your people out of Egypt, why don't you go back and make Bricks, but without straw now. Same quota. And so we say, God, I want to be used by you, but then, but then see, we show up. And it's hard. It is hard to be in ministry and to deal with sinners <laughs> because this is, a, this is a messy place. And, you know, sometimes peace does not materialize. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, not blessed are the peace achievers. Sometimes peace doesn't happen. And so, you know, a pastor will go to a dynamic how to grow a church and be a walk on water leader in three easy steps only to return and sink like a box of rocks. And and the truth is, some in the Celebrate Recovery ministry have relapsed. That happens. It happens in this room. People can be difficult. Change is hard. Think about how long it took for you to make peace with God. (laughs) Ministry, leadership is just a drain. There's a reason why the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, 6, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort. You know, the the comfort and the health and the welfare of the congregation pretty much always means the distress of those who help lead the congregation. And you know why, you know why, don't you? You know why leadership is such hard work in ministry. Here's why. Uh, the reason why is the only leverage that we have around this place. What's the only leverage that we have around this place? It's love. It's love. You know, in the military, they have leverage to ensure proper behavior. It's called the brig. At the marketplace, they have leverage to help ensure the proper behavior it's called the pink slip in the academic world they have this leverage to ensure proper behavior it's called an f what do we have in the church what do we have in the church <laughs> love all we have all we have is jesus all we have is the gospel That's the only currency we have, and I cannot make you change. I can't even make myself change. All I can do is say, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you will taste and see that the Lord is good, you will never be the same. My life has been changed by God's power. My life has been changed by the cross. And I think that's why Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. See, often we want to focus on the results of our ministry efforts, right? Number of baptisms, attendance figures, how much money do we collect in the offering? We want to focus on the objects of our ministry ventures. But Jesus is paying attention to the subjects. He wants to know what ministry is doing to me. He wants wants to know what ministry's effect is on my life and on my heart. He wants to know the answer to this question. What is the work of God doing to God's work in my heart? That's what he's doing. And that's why why he would say in Luke chapter 10 verse 20, I don't want you to rejoice that that the demons submit to you. I want you to rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Because if that's All you get in this life, that's all you need. And until you have everything else taken away, that truth, (laughs) that truth may not be as clear. And that's why the psalmist wrote, it was good for me to be afflicted, that I might learn your decrees. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, 9, Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You know what? You're not going to get out of this life alive. Now, there's something to chew on. Well, no, you're not. You're not going to get out of this life alive. Okay? But there is one who raises the dead. And he's he's our only hope, he's all we have. Who raises the dead? See? so So that the grave is not a dead end, it's a doorway a life that is truly life. And, and over and over, Jesus got, got that message across. And that's why he would say, I mean, just when the crowds were fomenting and the people were coming and, and miracles were happening and people were being drawn to Christ, you know, you know what he would do when, when, when too many people showed up? The next day, he would pull out of his back pocket the eat my flesh and drink my blood sermon. And that would thin the crowds out. (laughs) The the, the eat my flesh and drink my blood sermon is the the message that Jesus would say when he would say, you know, it's me or nothing. You know, I'm not just a way. I'm not an option. I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You know, the day, the day after the feeding of the 5,000 with the bread, you know, the crowd showed back up again. He said, you're just here for the food. You know? And, I mean, by the end of the day, the disciples were going, where, where, where's everybody going, Lord? And Jesus looks right to the disciples. You don't want to leave too, do you? What is it? That's what Paul's talking about. When he's talking about so that we would not rely on ourselves, but God who raises the dead. So, so peacemakers, they, they, they resemble their Heavenly Father and they hurt like their Heavenly Father. They hurt because not everybody, not everybody wants peace. So what's that going to look like here at Windsor Road if we decide to make peacemaking a priority? Paul tells us in Galatians, 1, uh, Galatians 6, 1 and 2, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What does that look like? It looks like being humble. It looks like being real. It looks like telling your story without lecturing. It looks like being willing to come alongside someone and church family, you know, that might, happen. that might happen if you chose to make Friday night a priority and to, and to come alongside someone who's hurting to make a difference. And um, <laughs> uh, Brian's not going to like it to hear this, so is this being recorded? Well, let's go on. Listen, some of you, the best thing you could do would be to quit your small group you know, and, and, and then make Friday night your ministry, okay? Uh, maybe, maybe to make yourself available, to come alongside someone, to be a part of the healing, maybe. If you wanted to be intentional, if you wanted to program what peacemaking is, there's an option there. But I suspect for the health of our church family, it needs to go just beyond friday it can happen right now it can happen right now it can happen right now in the foyer but you deciding that you're going to put peacemaking on your radar and you're going to be looking around you're going to look who needs peace who needs someone to come alongside you know who needs someone who who can be the face of jesus who who can hurt like jesus who can do this so I don't know that we need to program it as much as we do need to program it in our hearts so that we can can truly live and act and serve as sons and daughters of God in the act of peacemaking. Yes, Joseph said in Genesis 50, verse 20, you did this to harm me. You meant this to harm me. You intended this to harm me, but God intended it for the saving of many lives. It's an astonishing statement. It is surpassed by one other astonishing statement. When Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Yes, you know what? We could probably be just as generous with our enemies if they were groveling at our feet too. That's what makes Jesus' words superior than Joseph's words because Joseph uttered his words of forgiveness from the throne of Egypt Jesus' words were uttered from the agony of the cross. And Joseph asked the question, am I in the place of God? Well, we know the answer, no. Joseph isn't in the place of God. He made the right choice when he left final judgment in the hands of God. But what if Jesus had asked the same question? What if in bleeding agony on the cross, as his enemies mocked and his friends forsook him, Jesus had asked, am I in the place of God? The answer would still be no. For though he was God in the flesh, Jesus was not there on the cross in God's place. He was there on the cross in my place making peace. And now he has given me the gift of being a peacemaker. And this is our ministry, church, to bring others to God, to appeal to love, to be the face of Jesus, to step in the place with others that God would use Our brokenness to heal the brokenness of others. Uh, You know what our ministry is? Our ministry is to facilitate um, this little poem that's entitled Autobiography in Five Short Chapters. Listen up. Chapter 1 I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. But it isn't my fault. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4 I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5 I walk down another street. This is our ministry. This is our ministry helping others walk down another street, the street that we have found. And you know the name of that street. Sure you do. Jesus.